Welcome to the Game of Life. Happy National Mentoring Month. I'm your host, Gail Nelson, President and CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Miami. And today, court is in session. This is going to be special today because I got some folks joining me today that are just so, so meaningful and so impactful in my life. Uh, as I said, please uh, follow us on social media at BBBS Miami for Big Brothers Big Sisters and follow me at Coach Gale. 69 on IG or at G Sayers Nelson uh, on Twitter. Uh, my first guest is a man who's a living legend. He is a living legend, the Honorable Tom Peterson. I'm going to bring him in right now, so I don't want to keep the judge waiting because, again, the best thing for me to say is all rise, all rise. Here comes the judge. Let's get him in here. Got his audio connecting. Let's get that audio right. My friend, how are you? Yeah, how are you? Good to see you. Oh, my goodness. See, it's hard for me uh, because I know what you're going to tell me to do. You're going to say, Gail, call me Tom. It is so hard. I can, let me just get it in right now. Judge, I am just so honored to have you on the show today. Uh, oh, it's it a is. real pleasure. I got that picture of me that's 30 years old. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, a pleasure to be, it's a real pleasure, Gail. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, my friend. Uh, for the benefit of those uh, who don't know you, and that's like a handful of people, probably if at all. Uh, you, I just, I'm just happy to call you a friend. I'm happy that you're one of my mentors. You mean so much to me, uh, and to have you, and for me to be serving in the capacity of president and CEO here at Big Brothers Big Sisters, and to have you with me today again, it's a, an incredible honor. So let me just jump right in. There's so much I can say to you. Uh, we're here with uh, the Honorable uh, Tom Peterson, retired juvenile court judge. There's a lot more we'll be talk talking about in terms of what you have done for this community and in this community. But we're this is January, Tom. It's National Mentoring Month. And just tell us where you grew up and who mentored you. Well, I grew up in um, um, upstate New York and um, uh, went to high school there and, and uh I was lucky because um, my, my parents were separated so and I was living with my mother so I didn't have a, a father consistently there so I need I, I needed that I needed a, ment a mentoring I guess and uh, I was lucky because in school I had a guidance counselor who was became kind of a mentor that I was very close to in high school and also I started I was I started working while I was in high school in a it was a short order cook in a, in, a, in a roadside restaurant. And the guy that ran the restaurant was, was also a mentor. And I think what's significant about that is I was lucky because those two mentors in my life, were, one came out of a school setting, the other where I was working. And so many kids then and now don't have the, the, the luxury of being in school or in a job where they can meet a mentor. So they're kind of adrift. I was lucky because I was in school and I was working. And that's where Big Brothers Big Sisters comes in because without you and without your organization, kids that, are, that haven't got the opportunity to get a mentor in school or on a job just don't have it because they're not in school and they haven't got a job, which is the problem with the kids that we've both been dealing with for decades. Uh, mainly inner city kids uh, in poverty. I might add that I, it's 50 years ago this year that I became a big brother, uh, 1971. 
Uh, I was either the first or second to some question inter interracial big brother. My, my little brother was black. He lived on 27th Avenue and around Arlington Heights School. He's he's 62 years old now. So <laughs> that now, ages me a little bit. My little brother is 62 years old now. Are you still in touch with them, Tom? Yeah, I haven't talked to him in about a year or so. He moved back to Georgia. He moved to Georgia, back to Georgia. But we were in, we were in touch, and, and I'm in touch with he and his brother. It was one of those situations where I had him as my little brother, but then his brother also became my little brother. So I had I had the pair, and that was 1971. Well, my friend, I mean, it, to your list of of honors, I am just humbled, uh, and certainly I met you years after that. But as an alumni big brother who has a little brother that's now 62 years old, we got to find a way. We'll do a follow-up show, uh, get your little brother on, uh, and just to just talk about uh, not only, and we're going to get into this later on, just like you said, one of the first you know, interracial matches that we made here in Miami uh, and your commitment and what you've done for the community. Let me just go ahead with that and then tell people why you are just such so um, important to me and to this community. You were the first uh, assistant public defender in Miami to be assigned to juvenile court pursuant to the 1967 Gulf Supreme Court uh, decision, which granted indigent juveniles the right to free counsel. Uh, you, you were part of the first pretrial release program for indigent defendants incarcerated for the inability to post financial bail. A lot of firsts here, Tom. The first pretrial intervention program for first offenders in the Southeastern United States. You were chief, chief administrative assistant state attorney under state attorneys Gerstein and of course uh, the late Janet Reno as well. You were recognized by Time Magazine and an editorial in the New York Times uh, for your commitment to the inner city. Let's stay there for a minute. Tell me why you took a four-year leave of absence because you were uh, obviously well-decorated in terms of your legal career and your judicial career, but you took a four-year leave of absence to go back to the hood, to the inner city, uh, and to address some issues. Take as much time as you need, sir. Tell us why you did that. Yeah, well, I was going back is, is part of the answer because I I initially came to Miami as a VISTA volunteer. I graduated law school in 1966 and um, joined VISTA, which a lot of people don't know what VISTA is now. They think it's a car wax, you know. <laughs> VISTA, VISTA is Volunteers in Service to America, which was the Domestic Peace Corps. And um, uh, right out of law school, I, I, they, uh, they, I was assigned to Miami. And I, I lived and worked in the inner city. I. I um, Part of that time, I, I lived in Liberty City, and I, I, uh, I was while well, I was working in the Dade County Jail with that uh, uh, first pretrial release program for indigents, people who couldn't afford bond. Up until that time, they couldn't get out of jail, and my responsibility was to take them out of jail and under you know and be responsible to see if they came back to court, and that involved me being and working in in. In Liberty City, and I always enjoyed community organizing, and kind of considered myself a community organizer. And um, and and then in, in the early '70s, when when I became a big brother, I I, I started the um, pretrial uh, intervention program for first offenders, 
And um, I, I, I wanted to do, a, I wanted my office to be a storefront. I wanted to be in the inner city because most of the young people who came into the program, these were young adults. Um, um, I, I wanted I wanted a storefront operation, and the old I don't know if you remember the old Shell City building up on Seventh yes. up on Seventh Avenue and about Fifty Eighth Street. It, it had gotten burned out in the '68 um, disturbance, and, and uh, I didn't have any money for for rent for for a place to put the program. And I I went to the county and said, you know, that building is sitting there with nobody in it. Um, can we use, can I use that? And they said, yeah, we're going to tear it down in six months, but in the meantime, you can be there. Well, I was there for six years. They never tore it down. And, uh, it, and right up the street on 62nd and 7th Avenue was the uh, Model Cities Big Brother program. At that time, Big Brothers Big Sisters got a, a Model Cities grant to put uh, a big city, I mean, uh, a, a Big Brothers Big Sisters program in, in Liberty City. And my good friend, uh, uh, who I knew from juvenile court, was the director of that office right up the street from where my program was. And um, uh, and and he asked me if I wanted to be a big brother, and I said, "Yeah." And that's how I got my big brother relationship. But I had always been working in the inner city, and in, in one form or another, either community organizing or programs. And and in, in 1984. I was doing the Dade County Grand Jury then for the state attorney's office, among other things. And we did a study of inner city schools and, and, um, and how they were uh, failing. The, the kids were not graduating. And, and, um, and, and the relationship is obviously to, to poverty and all of the um, impediments that go with growing up in, a, in an indigent neighborhood. And I, I decided I wanted to go back. It was 20 years. It was, 20 years since I first got here, 70, yeah, it was 20, because I, I got here in 66, and this was 84, and I asked Janet Reno, I said, I want to take a leave of absence, go back and work in neighborhoods to try to address some of the issues that we found looking at inner city schools and how the schools weren't working for the kids. I don't know if you blame it on the kid or the school, but but kids were dropping out of school at an incredible rate. And I wanted to work to try to do something about that. So I took a leave of absence and worked in three housing projects, uh, Larchmont Gardens, the Liberty Square housing project, which is still there and everybody's familiar with, and the Modelo housing project down in South Dade. And I um, basically functioned as a community organizer and, and started programs uh, people always remember, I started uh, grocery stores run by AFDC mothers who wanted to come off welfare. And there were no grocery stores in, in, the, in the projects because people, 7-Eleven was afraid to put a, a, you know, a, 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 mar, you know a, a little store in there. So I, uh, and the ladies in the housing project wanted to, wanted to start a grocery store. And I said, that's a great idea. So we, we started... Uh, a store of nonprofit grocery stores run by the AFDC welfare mothers who wanted to and did come off welfare. And then it was right at the, that was 1984 to 80 um, to 89 that I was working in the housing projects, which was right at the time when crack cocaine became such a, such an issue and a problem. So working there and, and working with kids 
in those housing projects, I started grocery stores, the, the three grocery stores. We started the health clinics, after school programs. I started a little league baseball uh, up in Larchmont Gardens. We started a baseball team that was in little league. So I did a lot of things. It was a fascinating four years that, that I went back. And I wanted to go back after 20 years after I had been a VISTA volunteer because I wanted to see whether I was, I was fairly well known as Janet Reno's administrative assistant. That could, could I be more effective going back with a title like that? I could, I, this time now I could call up the county and say, hey, we need that baseball field uh, uh, fixed. Uh, as a VISTA volunteer, out of, you know, when I was 25, I couldn't do that. But when I was 45 and Janet Reno's assistant working in a housing project, I could call up the county and, and, and get, you know, get something more done. So I, I always enjoyed being a community organizer and, and uh, that was a fascinating four years. And right after that, I, I became a judge. And what was interesting, Tom, I remember you telling the story and of having, uh, when you sat on the bench uh, as a juvenile court judge, and keep in mind the moms that you employed and empowered and uh, invested in who were running these grocery stores, you began to see some of their children or grandchildren coming into the juvenile justice system. You recall oh, yeah. that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm still, believe it or not, I'm still in touch with um, some of the um, ladies I work with in those stores. One, one sadly just passed away a couple of weeks ago. And um, another uh, lady who worked in the store in Modelo calls me all the time. And we were still, it's 35 years later, um, and they're, they're in their late 60s. Everybody I knew is in their late 60s. Or, or, but the ladies I work with the, who were on, on welfare and the housing projects, I, there's some of them that still stay in touch with me. So it was a really, it was a, a real great experience doing that. Incredible. I learned a lot. I learned a lot and I was very fortunate. And we were fortunate to have you as, as a pillar in our community. Just if you could take us back to just one uh, scenario. When you first, uh, when you began to look at that file and you're sitting on the bench uh, and, uh, you know, obviously we'll keep the name, we'll, we'll protect the innocent. But what did you say to a grandchild of someone you knew their grandmother or maybe it was a mom? What did you say to that young man or young lady? No, that I was well. I wasn't happy to see them in juvenile court, but I was happy to see them, and and see their their mom or their grandmom, and it it, it, it helped a lot because it it it, it created a, a bond. I mean, with, when you're a juvenile court judge, what you want, what you try to do as much as possible is create a bond with the with the kids you're working with. So if I had that connection, or even the fact the fact that I that I was familiar with the neighborhood, it didn't have to be. Um, a, a, a the son or daughter of one of the ladies that I work with. It was if they came from Larchmont Gardens, Modelo, Liberty Square, you know, I knew somebody that they knew, and 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 that, you know, that created a, a liaison, a connection between me and the and the uh, the young man or lady and their, and their parent, which which in juvenile court is really important, and then for kids that come out of an inner city uh, background and walk into a juvenile court. You know, there's not an automatic connection, and you got to work hard as a juvenile court judge to, to to create that that bond, that connection. It's something you mentioned something that's very important. 
And it speaks to a bigger uh, challenge and a, an opportunity for all of us to get better. Uh, here's a young man, a young lady growing up in the inner city. Uh, in most cases, you know, you're talking about a black or brown youth uh, and it may not have any connection. So it's overwhelming, it's intimidating. Uh, and so now coming into contact with law enforcement and the judicial system and the juvenile justice system, but you were there, you knew the family, you knew what grandma taught, you knew where she came from, you knew the neighborhood and that saved some kids' lives. I remember, because you sent some of them uh, to us <laughs> at Bay Point. We'll talk about Bay Point later on uh, and to other incredible programs. So having that connection, and let me pivot from that, uh, Tom, as well. I think about the movie, and I know uh, I remember you when you sat as chairman of the board, you talk about from time to time uh, movies and all of that. I remember remember the movie Boys in the Hood? Of course, yeah. yeah. And so with Boys in the Hood, you know, and you know the character Trey, and there's so many Trey's out there, uh, if you will, uh, whether that Trey stands from, you know, you know, it stands for whatever last name or full name, uh, male or female, but so many trays of basically kids who have so much potential who get caught up with the, again, the neighborhood crowd. I won't say the wrong crowd. I'll say the neighborhood crowd. And they begin to do the wrong things because some of those kids, as you well know, I'm, I'm talking to one of the gurus here. So I want to make sure I get my messaging right. These kids, as we said at Bay Point, uh, Tom, were, uh, yeah, they weren't bad boys. They just did bad things. Uh, and so our messaging is so important saying these kids, that's a bad neighborhood. No, you were in the middle of the neighborhood and there was loving parents, loving grandparents. It's not a bad neighborhood. There were some things taking place in every neighborhood, including the suburbs that are not, that are, you know, not good. So what role does mentoring play in keeping kids out of the juvenile justice system and helping them just navigate their lifetime? Well, it, play, it plays an incredibly important role. And, and you hit on it when you said that, um, and anyone who works over time with, with, with uh, delinquent kids, and I'm, we're talking mostly about kids who grew up in the inner city, minority kids, that they are good kids and, and, and they, they do some bad things, but, but they are good kids. And that's one thing that, that I learned and that, that I've always maintained that most people don't realize. Most, pe most people say, well, if they do a bad thing, they're a bad kid. Uh, that's not so. Uh, they're, they're good kids. And, and one thing that I learned that happens, we're all sociological, delinquency is a sociological problem. It's, it's not a psychological problem. The, I mean, there are some kids who come in with psychological psychiatric issues, but the, the great majority of kids that we, we work with are, are fine psychologically uh, and, and uh, psychiatrically. It's not, they don't need a shrink. Uh, they need a, a mentor. They need, they need something um, to compensate for the failure of other institu socializing institutions. We're all socialized by basically five institutions, uh, family, peer group, school, neighborhood, and church for, 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 for a lot. Uh, so there are five factors there. And, and when I grew up, I had all of those factors kind of in sync. You know, I, 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 you know my family, the, my peer group went to the same school that I went to and they had this kind of the same uh, lifestyle. Uh, the neighborhood was a nice neighborhood, uh, which, made, which consisted of 
you know, families that were all supportive and all were in sync and, and, and church. But the kids that I saw in juvenile court and the kids that, that you see um, are missing uh, or weak in a lot of those socializing institutions. The family has got problems. The family may be dysfunctional. The kid probably dropped out of school or is marginal in school. The neighborhood is Liberty Square or some neighborhood that has um, a lot of dysfunctional families in it. Um, and, and in most cases, the church doesn't play a big role in the kid's life. That leaves, that's four out of five, that leaves the peer group as the fifth socializing institution that kids have. And my kids, our kids in, in juvenile court, um, the peer group makes up for all of those other uh, elements that aren't working. The school isn't working, neighborhood's not working, family's not working, church isn't working, but the peer group is working fine. And the peer group becomes the kid's total socializing um, agent, if you will. And, and unfortunately, the peer group isn't doing good things because the peer group probably also dropped out of school and is, comes from a similar background. And, and it's a lot easier to go to the mall and, and, and shoplift than it is to, to go to school because that's the peer group talking. That's not, you know... So, so since the peer group is kind of the major factor and all those other uh, socializing agencies aren't working, mentoring becomes, if not one of, probably the major need and solution for those kids because so, some, something has got to step in to replace the peer group as, as the principal socializing factor in the kid's life. Um, and, 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 a, and a mentor can, can minimize the negative peer group pressure and, and get the kid back in school, you know, try to build up those other uh, institutions that aren't working for the kid. And we saw that at Bay Point, where, where, where you were the um, uh, program director at Bay Point, which was an unusual program because it was based on the premise that the, that, um, that, uh, the peer group was the major factor we had to deal with. Um, and it, it wasn't a program based on having a, a therapist or a psychologist there. It was based on working with the peer group and trying to change a negative peer setting to a positive one. And that's what a mentor does. A mentor steps into the kid's life um, and, 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 and becomes an addition to or a substitute for or replacement for that negative peer group, which which should become so important and the major motivation for uh, kids who become delinquent is that negative peer group, as you well know, having worked there for so long. Well, here we are with, I mean, dropping knowledge, the the honorable uh, Judge Tom Peterson here on the Game of Life Mentoring Podcast, the community conversation. Uh, and we are just, I mean, I hope everybody caught what was just stated. Uh, from a sociological standpoint. Uh, and as you well know, Tom, we've talked about this at length. You know, again, uh, yes, if there is a need for additional services, we, we need to address that and mitigate said problems. But for the vast majority, these kids and these gang leaders that came in and want to be gang members, we would ask them the direct question. You know, why did you join the gang? The number one answer, Tom, and you know this, family. They wanted the stability, the security. And now who in this world doesn't want family? 
Think about that for a minute. A go-to person, a confidant, somebody to talk to, lean on, you know, again, just have that positive feedback, someone to listen to and just to be heard. That's what many of these kids in the juvenile justice system that you saw every day really, really need. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. That's And, and, uh, and that's the, the juvenile justice system even today. And then it's been... It's been 25 years since I was there, but it ha it's it's still based on on the the misconception that delinqu delinquency is a mental health issue, a psychological issue. It's not. It's a sociological issue. It has to do with getting the kid away from the negative peer group and getting him uh, him back in school. And education is so important. And linking the juvenile justice system with the public school system is another big thing that I try to do. And that's why I started the, uh, the Troy uh, School at, the, at Juvenile Court, because I was convinced that what we needed to, to put our emphasis on and, and our efforts on was creating a bond between juvenile justice system and, and the public school system, not between the juvenile justice system and, and the psychologists in, in the community. Incredible, uh, incredible. Having said that, we talk about race relations, Tom, and you mentioned as a big brother, as an alumni big brother, still in touch with your little brother who's 62 years old. This, I hope everybody puts that in context. I mean, decades of service on the bench, decades of service in the inner city, decades of service, just helping uh, along in the space of mentoring. You graduated Columbia Law in 1966. When I just look at history, and when it comes to civil rights, when it comes to race relations, let's just take, let's do a comparison. 1966, 2021. What, to make the comparison for me in terms of race relations, Tom? Well, 66 was in, in um, you know, that I was 25 years old and, and uh, uh, we had all the hope and I was a VISTA volunteer working in Liberty City and then you know, the, our sense of optimism in 66, Martin Luther King was still alive. Robert Kennedy was still alive. They were killed in 68. Um, but, but, you know, we, there was so much hope that we were going to be able to change institutions, change neighborhoods, um, uh, change the, the, the poverty uh, uh, area neighborhoods that the, the, the kids were coming out of. And we had all these hope so it was going to happen um, and, 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 and a lot did happen during the civil rights era during those and I marched with um, uh, Dr. King and in and, and, and the civil rights movement I was active and and, um, and and the whole and of course that was the area of the, of the great society just the, the, the program I was in Vista which was the domestic peace corps was part of the um, great society and and uh, and all the hopes that we had then for the changes we were going to make in race relations and in, in racism in this country. And, and some changes were made, obviously. There, there are things, things are, uh, in many respects are better now than then. But we, it's, it's been that's, that's 55, 60 years ago, and we really haven't progressed to a great extent. I mean, we, we thought, I was thinking back, uh, Recently, thinking back to 2008, when when uh, when uh, Barack Obama became president, and we were patting ourselves on the back for having reached the post-racial 
point where everything was going to be fine. Well, look at us, look at us uh, 15 years later after four years of, of having a racist as our president and, and, uh, uh, and seeing that systemic racism is still part of, of our society. So we haven't progressed anywhere near as far during those 55 years since I got here uh, that I was hoping for when I was walking around Liberty City in 1966. Um, walking around Liberty City in 2021, and, and, and so, you know, you see some of the areas are the same as they were then, and it's and it's it's because we we haven't effectively addressed the problems that existed back then, today. You know, having a new president is hopefully going to help, but but it's you know trying to change. People and, and what we're seeing now is this mass of of, uh, of, of people who are um, who obviously uh, are racist that exist in our in our society. How, how do we change those people? I, I don't know. I, I wish I knew the answer to that. It's very frustrating, and I know all we can do is keep trying to um, to reach those same objectives we were trying to reach 55 years ago. We're not. We sure aren't there yet, um, and that's very sad because I spent most of my life watching, uh, watching for the the day that we we reached kind of the the mountaintop, and we we ain't there yet. Well, we got to keep climbing, Tom, and uh, mentoring. Uh, you think about nonpartisan issues, children, safety, uh, race relations should never be a partisan issue. And so, as I lead this podcast you know, in terms of supporting, mentoring, and bringing on guests that are just uh, helping us reach that mountaintop. A couple of things you've done. I got to frame them as one question for time's sake, but we'll give you a few minutes to answer it. You've been uh, on the battlefield a long time, uh, in the trenches, helping things, helping move the needle and help us reach that mountaintop, Tom. Uh, Troy Academy, uh, you know, teaching, if you will, teaching and rehabilitating our youth. You started a funded, administered, initiated a program, uh, Teen Cuisine. I got quite a few cheeseburgers at Teen Cuisine and some chicken <laughs> Caesar salads as well, for the yeah, record. Yeah. Uh, and not from there, then you were chairman of the board. Uh, and when I first really got to know you uh, for Bay Point Schools, a moderate, uh, re- moderate risk residential uh, program for court adjudicated boys ages 13, 18. And I had the privilege of uh, helping run that particular school. Troy Academy, Teen Cuisine, Bay Point Schools. As we think about those two and your investment in youth development and workforce development, how important is that, Tom? And tell us a little bit about your experience there. Yeah, well, well, again, when I when I became a juvenile court judge, um, well, there were two separate. They were one program, but the two separate uh, components. One was Troy Academy. The other was the Teen Cuisine Restaurant. Troy is an acronym for teaching and rehabilitating our youth, T-R-O-Y. Um, and when I, when I became a judge, I, I again, wanted to, to build a link between ju- the juvenile court and the school system because uh, we were spending all our time, uh, the, the, and so were the caseworkers, trying to f- call the school and find out if the kids showed up that day. And, uh, I had, and it was very frustrating because it, it, all the time was being spent trying to find the kid and track him to his school and see if he was there. So I had the idea of putting a school right there at the juvenile justice center, adjacent to the juvenile court, 
where the kids could go. It would be a, a first class school um, and it would be right there so that uh, we could link the, the probation officer wouldn't have to run run off all day trying to find the school and the kid in the school because the school would be right there adjacent to the juvenile justice center. And, and I wanted the school to be, um, and there was some question in the beginning whether the kids would wanna to go to a school that was adjacent to the juvenile justice center. But luckily I had a, had a great uh, staff, uh, the, the lady who was the principal of the school, um, uh, Jennifer Schuster, her name was, uh, and, and she, she was just a very warm person who, um, who, who set the tone of the school. Everybody was on a first name basis. It, 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 was, it, was, it was geared to make the kids feel welcome and, and, and important there. And, and, and hopefully that's what the Troy School did. At the same time, um, I had just come from working in the uh, housing projects and starting those those uh, nonprofit uh, grocery stores, and I that taught me that and and the ladies who went to work in those stores um, just felt really good about it because they they, they had self esteem that they were running the store, and were making making some money doing it and coming off welfare. So that that lesson taught me that to change behavior, the best thing you can do is put someone in a job that they feel good about and and pay some money. Uh, self-esteem and, and money are two big motivators. So I, I, I noticed when I got to juvenile court, well, I knew it already because I'd been there a lot, that it, there was no restaurant there. And, and you had to go blocks to find a restaurant. So I said, well, we'll start a restaurant and the kids will run the restaurant, same way as the ladies ran the grocery stores. And, and uh, again, everybody said, oh, it's not going to work. You're not going to do that. The kids are going to run away or steal the, the food or do something like that. Well, they didn't. The kids were great. And, and um, the kids uh, for, for uh, 20, almost 20 years, the Troy Academy and Teen, Teen Cuisine was there until they closed the old Juvenile Justice Center and moved away. But the restaurant worked fine. Again, I had a, I had a, a great lady who, uh, who kind of was the instructor in, in, the, uh, in the Teen Cuisine restaurant right there in the Juvenile Justice Center. And the kids, the kids were terrific and they learned some culinary skills and um, one day, and I think it was 1992 or something, I picked up a copy of the New Times. And every year, the New Times has the best of Miami. And I looked; I was just looking through it, and the best, the best restaurant, the best, the best low-cost restaurant in in the Miami Times was Teen Cuisine. And I always remember the line they had: the food was so good that you had to go through a metal detector to get to it. But the, the Teen Cuisine restaurant actually got ranked as the best uh, low-cost cheap eats restaurant in the, in Miami, and so it was uh, Troy. It was a success, and, and I'm glad to say Teen Cuisine was too. And again, it was based on the premise that the kids are good kids. If you give them the opportunity, give them a good program or a, a good setting in which you can you can give them self-esteem uh, and get them. Um, get them invested in what you're doing. Um, then you can change behavior and you don't need a psychiatrist to do that. You just need a bonding and, and, uh, uh, and, and, a, and a friendship and, and a mentoring. And that's exactly what Big Brothers Big Sisters does. Um, it does exactly what I was trying to do with those programs. Well, you, uh, you did it, sir. You did it. 
uh, investment in the community, a consistent trusted friend and counsel, literally, legally and, and otherwise, uh, they have in you, uh, your, your service as chairman of the board for Bay Point Schools. I was a young 20 something coming in there and we had we, we looked at that Glen Mills School in Conquerville, Pennsylvania, as you well know, uh, having a normative culture. We're dropping some sociolo sociology on everybody today, but everybody needs to hear this. A yeah. normative culture, no locks, no bars. Uh, and I saw the confidence when I would order. It was a pleasure when I ordered food from Team Cuisine and to give my money to those young people, investing in them because they were learning a skill, a trade. That's what you've done, Tom Peterson. And at Bay Point, going back to where I worked for what 12 years, your leadership on the board, your guidance, your mentorship for me, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you. I mean, I thank you. I mean, it gets to me because you are part of, now I sit here as president CEO, a young black man that grew up in inner city, raised by a single mom. But I came into contact with you and you helped me grow into the man I am today. So from the bottom yeah, of my heart. That, that means a lot. I, that's very moving. And I, because you, um, I, we shouldn't be throwing compliments around, but you are one of my icons too. Uh, you made the, uh, I mean, Bay Point was based on, on, a, on, on the right philosophy that it's a peer culture issue. It's not a psychiatric issue, delinquency. And, and uh, it was based on that, I, that premise, which is, which is not uh, widespread in the juvenile justice field, but, but, but you've got to combine that with, with, a, with good leadership, good staff, and you were the best, Yale. You were the, Mary Louise Cole, who was the uh, program director of, who started it, and, and she and I talked so many times about how fortunate we were to have you and your brother um, uh, playing leadership roles in that program because, and again, mentoring, you, you were a role model for so many kids. Um, and, and Big Brothers, Big Sisters is based on <clears throat> providing role models where they wouldn't exist before. And for the absence of their existence means the kid falls back on the peer group. And, and the peer group is is not going to take the kid to a library, going to take it to someplace else. <laughs> and and um, so, you know, uh, peer culture, uh, role models, mentoring, big brothers, big sisters, that's one package that, that, um, that we need. And, and, and if we, and if we change, if we change that and we, and we change the way we deal with our deviant inner city youth will go a long way toward um, improving race relations generally, I think. If we had a, a better understanding um, and, and more of a commitment to, to doing what uh, I tried to do and what you're doing, um, we go a long way toward, toward dealing with these systemic racial issues that, that plague us. Tom, thank you for taking time to hang out with me today. I look forward to enjoying uh, lunch with you uh, when it's safe to do so at, at your convenience. Uh, it will be my pleasure to treat you to lunch, my friend. Uh, so thank you for all the service to this community. On behalf of all the kids, from that little boy, that little girl in the inner city here in, in Miami, to those kids who stood before you and family, stood before you when you sat on the bench in juvenile court, I thank you for your continued investment. And I'm just thankful to call you my friend. Well, that's that's reciprocal, Gail. I uh, I treasure our friendship. I treasure our relationship and all that we've done over the years. And um, we've got many years to go, my friend.
There you go. We're it's a pleasure being here. <laughs> Take care, my friend. All the best to you, Tom. All the best to your family as well. Thank you, Gil. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow. That one got to me. Uh, here we are in the Game of Life mentoring podcast and community conversation. Court is in session uh, today. And as I think about uh, all that we are doing, and I wanted to share with you all our next guest, uh, you talk about to go from uh, a good friend and mentor and alumni big brother, Tom Peterson, to now coming up. Uh, he's funny, he's brilliant, an award-winning attorney, an alumni big brother. Today is all about our alumni, National Mentoring Month. Again, please welcome the one and only alumni big brother, Mike Igelarsh. Mark Igelarsh. Hello, sir. My good friend. What's up, brother? It's nice to see you. Looking Man, the, ba the baby face. What are you doing? What is it? Oil of Olay? Mary K What is it, brother? You look good. Not having to physically go to court for over a year, sitting in my kitchen, sitting in my kid's room here, um, you know, not having to drive anywhere. That's what does it. It's amazing. Oh, my goodness, Mark. It is so good to see you. I got so excited introducing you a few minutes ago. I said, alumni big brother, Mike Igelars. Do you have a brother, Mike, or a twin brother, Mike? I do apologize. It's live TV. You know the drill, brother. I know, but most people say Mike Igelars. They're concerned about getting the I right, so the Mark combines with the Igelars. Not alone, my friend. Yes, many have done it. Well, I tell you what. Well, welcome to my humble of podcast, the Game of Life Mentoring Podcast. And my slogan is where everybody make in life, everybody makes the team, but how you play is up to you. And yeah. having you here today as an alumni big brother, alumni board member, just a friend. Uh, tell us first and foremost, when did you get started with Big Brothers Big Sisters of Miami? First of all, Gail, thank you so much for having me. I The benefit to me is at a minimum, selfishly, I get to relive the experience of becoming involved in Big Brothers Big Sisters and the phenomenal years that it influenced my life and I was able to influence the life of, of others. So thank you. I began back in the early 90s when I was serving as a prosecutor in Miami. Janet Reno gave me my start right out of law school and prosecutor. And what I noticed was I was giving time to children but not the kind of time that I wanted to give to children. You know, there were a lot of kids kid committing violent offenses. And it came to a head one day in, I think it was like 93, 94. I was on a big high profile case. It was one of the German tourist killers, right? And I couldn't believe that this person we were seeking the death penalty for wanted to meet us face to face. And I thought we'd get some inarticulate, unintelligent, just street thug who just wanted to tell us off. And instead we got a very soft-spoken 15 or 16 year old who killed a German tourist by robbing them and just shooting them cold blooded. The next day was out in traffic and doing armed robberies and, and smash and grabs. And, and it was just a horrible scenario. And while we were listening to his tale of woes, and it was sad, I mean, no father figure, his mother a prostitute and a drug addict, barely finding food to eat. We all were, were moved by his story. And I had this out-of-body experience. I said, well, obviously, 
it's too late now. Now it's just whether question you're going to, we're going to waive the death penalty, which we ultimately did, or whether you're going to get life for, for the numerous crimes that you're involved with. But I thought if we could turn back the clock and get into this kid's life when he was younger, like for sure it would make a difference, 100%. And so I was committed that day to seeing if I could do that. And that's exactly what Big Brothers Big Sisters does. Incredible. And I've heard you share so many uh, stories of how you've impacted uh, just, again, like you said, as a criminal defense attorney, you're investing a lot of time uh, and have invested a lot of time with folks who've made uh, bad decisions and done some bad things. But sure. you invested your time in one, with one particular young man as a big brother. Uh, and uh, tell us about that experience. And when I say to people, and I sometimes I post it, when one mentors, some people come in saying, I'm going to save a kid. No, no, no. When one mentors, two lives are changed. Two lives are impacted. 100%. Mentoring and the one who is mentored. The floor is yours, my friend. Well, first of all, I'm getting emotional. Um, I didn't think that I would be. Um, but again, that's why I'm grateful to you to giving me this at least moment to stop my busy day and reflect on something that's so personal to me. Um, I thought to myself at first, what, is it, what does it really matter? They paired me up with this kid. What, what, it, what does it matter? I mean, what, what kind of impact can I have by, by going to the auto show, taking him to court, uh, meeting family members? Like, really, what am I doing? I really minimized it until I started to hear him speak during some of the interviews that we were doing. We were out there promoting Big Brothers and Sisters after we had been together a couple of years. My kid was not communicative. I mean, at first, I really, I turned to my social worker and I said, I want out. This kid, you know, I'd be like, hey, what do you want to do today, buddy? And he'd be like, I don't know, whatever you want to do. And it was just, it really was rough. And then she said, well, didn't they tell you about his past? And I was like, no, no, tell me a little bit more. She said, well, his father beat his mother and then left the household. He loved his father in spite of the, the violence. He loved his father very much. His brother left the household. He loved his brother very much. He figures you're going to do the same. So all that energy that I had in thinking of how I can get out of this relationship because I wasn't doing any benefit, I said, no, 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 I'm staying in there. And I am so glad that I did. Shemaine, who's now, I don't even know how old he is. He's in his 30s. I spoke to him yesterday, has a family, has his own kids, says things to me. And again, my ego is not my amigo. So I don't say this from a place of ego. I say this complete humility. He says, Mark, quote, you made me the man that I am today. I'm like, are you serious? Like, I, it, it's, it's bizarre to hear him talk that way. And even in yesterday's conversation, he said he's raising his five-year-old girl, his youngest, the way with the same character traits that he saw with me. I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, Mark, I watched as you would talk to people. We'd go out and you were very social. And you would, I'm like, and he goes, I learned that from you. And I was like, wait, what? And it didn't occur to me that had he not seen how I interact with prosecutors who he would see me like argue zealously in court with, but then we're off and we're talking in the hallways like we're dear friends. Like he brought that up and how I could just talk to anybody in a room and he wouldn't have learned that. He didn't know that. That was not part of his life. And, and then I thought about it. I go, yeah, I remember when his mother was alive, how she was very introverted. He wouldn't have seen those things. So he credits me with so many basic things that I take for granted that selfishly, this has been just a wonderful experience for me. Well, you've been on, and let me just tell you when I first met you, I'm thinking this guy is funny. He's cool, brilliant, 
and your energy is infectious. And again, I started here in 2006. I'm going into my I'm going into my 17th year, if you will, 15th year, excuse me, 15th year here at Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Mark. And again, when I first met you, I'm thinking, that is a cool guy. So your little brother, and I'm glad you're still in touch with him uh, to this day, is so, so heartwarming to me and this entire team here at Big Brothers, Big Sisters. You've been on major cable networks providing expertise and everything. So you certainly know how to work a room and to get your point across. But speaking of getting your point across, you are now an author and you have a book, Be Happy by Choice, and it has a built-in guarantee. And I want you to talk about your book and your built-in guarantee. Okay, so it's Be Happy by Choice, Happiness Guaranteed or Your Misery Back. And I only <laughs> put that in kind of tongue in cheek because if you embrace what I'm suggesting with, I mean, listen, from the goodness of my heart, I, I didn't do this book to make any money. In fact, I've probably lost thousands of dollars with the amount of time I've spent on it and the different editors. It's, an, it's a labor of love. And if people do what I suggest in the book, then they become happier. But I'm also here to tell you, you don't need my book to be happier. Service makes you happier. The, you know, there's an expression of service is the rent that we pay for the space that we take up on earth, right? My goal years ago was to selfishly pay as much rent as possible so I can feel happy. So whenever, you know, fill in the blank, whenever I have thoughts that don't serve me well and I start to feel cantankerous and the anger fills up, I immediately stop. I go through the tools that I talk about in the book, but then I say, okay, how can I be of service to someone? Let me go give my wife a hug. Let me do something for my kids. Let me reach out to someone who's in need. And, and that's what Big Brothers does. So when you saw my contagious energy or whatever you saw, it's because everything that has to do with Big Brothers, Big Sisters is aligned with my core values. It's something that I love. It's something I believe in. I admire everyone who's involved in the organization from you at the top, from Lydia back in the day, and I feel privileged to be a part of something so wonderful. So that's why I had phenomenal energy. And conversely, there are things that where you, you look at me and go, man, that guy, doesn't... it's because what I'm doing necessarily is not aligned with my core values and I'm not thrilled to be doing it. You know, getting off somebody, you know, in court who, who doesn't deserve to be getting off. You don't deserve to be getting the amazing outcome I'm getting. Maybe I'm not as enthusiastic in that situation, but helping a child and helping others to help children Man, that's 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 a gift for me. Well, your rent is paid in full. Uh, that's for sure. But you know what's great about you and your response, your nonverbal response already speaks to it. You're like, no, as long as I have a pulse, I can serve. And that's that is the stuff. message. We're yeah. here with alumni, big brother, award winning uh, attorney, uh, author. Uh, be happy by choice or your misery or, or you get your misery back. Right. Or, <laughs> right, right. Your happiness is guaranteed or your misery back. It's like a shark, right? Sharks have to keep moving. You know, you, we're here to learn lessons on this on this earth. And for me, nothing brings me greater joy than service, right? I'm not into self. I'm out. And I, I can't be of service to anyone else unless I first put my oxygen mask on first, right? I got to take care of myself. So I'm doing those things every day, meditation, prayer, um, physical fitness, you know, all the things that I need to do, gratitude, doing my gratitude journal. I mean, I, stuff I talk about in my book, again, I'm not preaching the book. I'm, I'm saying, again, you just do nothing other than service, but get yourself okay so that you can go out and serve others. That's the key. 
you know, that in a nutshell, that that is is what I'm doing every day, being of service until I die. I love it. I love it, Mark. One of the things that's so interesting is that as an award-winning criminal defense attorney, uh, you have a bird's eye view, a very unique view of the criminal justice system with race relations being as tense as they are. And here I am, you know, coming into Big Brothers, Big Sisters in 2006. I looked around. I looked at all the bigs. I didn't see a lot of bigs that looked like me. Mm. And that is in no way disparaging those who look like you because the heart was in it clearly. And so as I applauded all those who, who got involved as bigs, I'm thinking we need to do better. Uh, but then I spend time, you know, as you well know, before Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and my first guest was the Honorable Tom Peterson. Uh, you probably know Tom. Uh, again, who served under Janet Reno as well. So this is special for me today on so many levels. But I would look at the juvenile justice system and see the over-representation over of folks who look like me. And as I, you think about the criminal justice system, and, I, and this nonpartisan show, this mentoring podcast, I'm here to promote humanity, to talk about what we can all do uh, to support children and their families. Uh, and that should hopefully and prayerfully is never a partisan issue talking about helping kids and helping keep our communities safe. How do we ensure equity for all within the criminal justice system in such trying times, Mark? One step at a time, right? So we know that, unfortunately, I think it's, it's naive to think that, you know, racism, bigotry, those, those things are, are ever going to dissipate, right? We can only hope to reduce them. Um, and why won't it disappear? Because ignorance has been around since the beginning of time. So that's, that's all it is. It's built on, on ignorance. So all we do is one step at a time to be light and love for others and show them the way, right? So everyone you come in contact with who may have preconceived notions of what a, a black man is, they might walk away going, my goodness, that changed my tune. I thought they were such and such. Maybe I should treat them equally. You know, I just think that it's, it's about spreading the word. It's about um, changing. And I, I, I see it. We've all seen it. Not significant enough. Um, I still see a, a disparity between how people are treated, not so much in South Florida as other parts of the world, you know, you know that there is racism alive and well, and that people of color are getting a disproportionate number of prison sentences that whites are not getting. We know that. So the goal is one by one, you know, changing people's view. And secondly, I think Big Brothers Big Sisters, we know statistically provides the solution to change a child's trajectory and put them on the right path. I have no doubt in my mind, well, his own words, my little brother tells me, had I not come into his life, he would have probably gone down the same path that some of his friends went down and, and they're incarcerated. So this program works. It's, it's proven. You can't deny it. Mark, it is, uh, you know, we get, we get into this business to, to serve and to help. Uh, and this podcast, uh, this conversation, as you've said many times, it's not about self-promotion. It's about informing people. It's about teaching people, letting people hear personal stories of impact like yours. Your little brother telling you he's the man he is today because of you. And you're like, wait a minute. I just spent some time with you. I was nice to you. I was consistent. Exactly. That's what our kids need. The Honorable Tom Peterson just shared with me. The judge said, hey, 
Gail, I see these kids coming to juvenile court and these uh, variables in their lives. Okay, there's no male figure, positive male role model in their life. Uh, their, their peer group becomes predominant because everything else is, is kind of out of whack. So this kid who wants structure and family then joins a gang. Wanting structure and a family. Last time I checked, Mark, that's not a bad thing to want. That's Unfortunately, right. they just find it in there's few two options and that's why we exist. And I thank you for your service as a big brother and just as a friend. Speaking of alumni big brother, speaking of alumni board member, uh, the board of directors, the current board of directors of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Miami, uh, and certainly it's a pleasure working with them and for them. We want to re-engage all alumni, alumni bigs, alumni board members, because there's so many stories like you just told. Uh, and it's not scripted, it's real. It is real. Uh, and having said that, Mark, uh, give, give me some feedback. And it's certainly this goes to our board. Many are watching today. What one to two things would you like to see us do as we re-engage our incredible alumni? Ask. In other words, I don't, I, as you were speaking earlier, I was like, what else can we do? What else can I do? I don't know the answer. I really don't. I'm, I'm, I moved to Broward, so I'm less engaged in Miami. I consider myself to be an ambassador. That was a term I was given when I, when I walked away. Help, help me walk away um, a little, you know, minus the guilt, you know. So I, I have it on my, you know, on my signature page for every email I send out. I have the, the link to Big Brothers Big Sisters. So I consider myself to be an ambassador. I don't know what else I can physically do. So I, I would like to think, I haven't been asked to do anything in a while. If there's something I can do, even financial, granted I'm, I'm tapped with three teenagers, but, but if there's anything that I can do, I'd like to be able to do that. So the first thing I would do is make sure you ask the people who are most likely to be of service and give back to an organization that, that they got so much from are those who, who've experienced it firsthand. So I'd like to be asked, I'm, I'm asking you to ask me what I can do. So that's the number one thing, just keep asking. I love that. And at the end of the day, and it's interesting, a lot of organizations like Big Brothers, Big Sisters, we, we've impacted so many people, so many. Uh, and something as simple as just re-engaging, keeping you informed, which I pledge to do. Uh, and this podcast, guess what, is my way of saying, hey, Mark, I need you to come on and just talk and share your story. That's, and you, you responded right away. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. Uh, so message received, my friend, duly noted. Uh, so just continue to take my calls. Uh, that's, that's the key. Absolutely. <laughs> Mark, uh, as you think about uh, where we are in our society and it's National Mentoring Month, uh, a month, and it's certainly not limited to one month. Certainly it's National Mentoring Month of January of every year, but every single day. Uh, and I hope you've had a chance to see some of the things we're doing. We're, we're much more active on social media uh, and just the relevance, uh, the social justice space, always promoting humanity, always making sure we connect people, businesses, individuals. Uh, and so I hope as an alumni big brother and alumni board member, you see what we continue to do as an organization. So having said that, uh, I want to get your feedback on what you're seeing, what you are for, through your lens, your experience lens, what you see us doing. And then secondly, Mark, uh, just words of wisdom that you have for all of our bigs and littles as well. Okay. So first of all, um, as my 
grandmother used to say, like, I'm kfelling. Kfelling is nachis and joy. When I see the advertisements on television, I mean, major placement, and I see you and or the Big Brothers, Big Sisters logo up there, I have such joy and nachis and, and love and happiness in that moment. So you're killing I'm seeing it on television. I'm seeing it on social media. I, I can't think of any place that you're, you guys are not. So wonderful job. So and I'm very, very, very happy to see that. Um, to all those who are watching this, I had my own reservations when I began with Big Brothers Big Sisters. Like, who am I to mentor someone? You know, we all have that voice inside. And that voice sends us, you know, 80% of the thoughts that we have every day are thoughts that don't serve us well. And 90% of the thoughts we had yesterday, the ones we're gonna have today, we were in this constant cycle. I talk about that in my book. So the goal is to talk to your brain. It's nothing more than an organ sending you thoughts that don't necessarily serve you well and say, hey, Biff, that's what I call my brain you know, send me thoughts that serve me well. And the thoughts that serve me well were, Mark, you need to be a mentor. You need to step up and be on the board. You need to be involved with Big Brothers Big Sisters. Yeah, but, 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 well, the but, but, but is the fear. Fear is false evidence appearing real. We think of the worst case scenario. What if it doesn't work out? Or what if this, that, and you just gotta stop it. You know, fear holds you back. You gotta walk through it and know that there is something positive, something wonderful awaiting you when you invest in this organization, which invests in our children. And I am just unbelievably grateful for the opportunity to be of service. I, 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 I get very emotional when I talk about it because it, it, next to the birth of my own children, it is the most significant thing in my life. And I'm so grateful to get to relive it with you. Mark, you got a lump in my throat talking to you, brother. Man, I love you for what, who you are, what you've done, what you're doing, and you may not promote your book, but I can. Uh, and I tell you what, if you are at home quarantine, which is probably are, or, or you got some extra time, Mark Iglarsh, not Mike. Don't Google Mike Iglarsh. I don't know that guy, but I do know Mark Iglarsh. And I tell you what, be happy by choice. This mentoring podcast, The Game of Life, in life everybody makes the team, but how you play, how you play is up to you. And I tell you what, I'm happy by choice, Mark, and I am grateful to call you my friend and brother. Same here, my brother. Thank you for everything you're doing. I'm so grateful. All the best to you, my friend. Take care. The game of life court was in session today. The court of service, the honorable Judge Tom Peterson, retired juvenile judge. Incredible. Mark Iglarsh, alumni big brother. Tom Peterson, alumni big brother. To all those that are out there, follow us at BBBS Miami on social handles. Follow me at Coach Gale 69 But most importantly, do something. Happy National Mentoring Month. And once the calendar page turns to February, we're still making matches. We're doing it every single day. We welcome a brand new CEO, Artis Stevens. We'll get him on the show in the days to come. That's for sure. So thank you all for joining in. We'll see you next month. Next month, Black History Month, we're putting it down. That's for sure. In the game of life, everybody makes the team, but how you